Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, trying her mostest, Sarah Nicole, and each week I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. All right, everybody, welcome back. As you know, during this last year, Everyone has been kind of taking up new habits, exciting learnings. They're taking courses. Some people are writing books, or so they thought. Everyone was like, well, I'm going to write a book during the pandemic. Today's guest actually did. So please welcome, you can only know him as Dr. Josh. I don't even know how to say your last name. I'm afraid to say it. Is it Walrick? Walrich. Walrich. Okay. Yeah, Walrich. Dr. Jo- I just <laughs> yeah, call you perfect. Dr. Josh. Yeah. You wrote a book during the pandemic. It wasn't deliberate. Like <laughs> you said, I'm not one oh, of those. Oh, it was really, already pre-planned. Yeah, I'm you not one of those like, really. You annoying weren't like people. a Taylor Swift, who was like, "I'm going to write an album in six." No, months. no, I'm I'm going to re-record my album, so I now own my own tracks, which is awesome. But um, no, I wasn't one of those. Um, well, you Wait, you look confused. On. Did you not you know about this? Have an album? No, no, she did. She re-recorded her one of her albums so that she owned the rights to the tracks most yes. recently. Okay, I so thought you were two saying albums. that you recorded. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I mean, right. I do have technically a, a music album, but that's with a band <gasps> that I did when I was, we'll send you this later. Um, so um, <laughs> no, no, but my book, it wasn't planned. It wasn't planned to be during a pandemic. Like mm. I was having discussions in person about the book and going yeah. to book meetings in person and then signed the contract and then the pandemic did its thing. So I was like, shit, now I have to write this. And I'm still working in the hospital and now it's a pandemic and, ah, uh, and here's a puppy. Um, so, so yeah. Yeah. And you got a puppy. Mm, mm. So yeah, but the book happened. I managed to get it done, but, uh, but it wasn't deliberate and I wouldn't recommend doing it during a pandemic just to clarify. Was it intense just because it was, well, obviously you're a doctor. Well, it was intense for all sorts of reasons, but I think the mental health aspects of being in the middle of a pandemic full stop means that you just have so much less capacity for concentration. Yeah. One thing I realized that I, I thought I did quite well from a mental health, but I, I say did like we finished the pandemic, we haven't yet, but it feels like we're definitely towards the other end. But uh, yeah, I thought I had done quite well in terms of like my mental health side. And then I was like, oh yeah, I just like kind of stopped showering as regularly as I, as I normally did. And I didn't realize I was doing that. So the whole self-care thing 
mm-hmm. changed with me, which was interesting, um, as mm-hmm. well as the concentration. So yeah, I wouldn't recommend trying to hit deadlines. I'm sure people are well aware of this because everyone had deadlines during the pandemic for all sorts of reasons. But yeah, trying to hit them, not fun, especially if you have multiple deadlines, like not yeah. not a good idea. Yeah, I was... I was pregnant and got really bad uh, prenatal depression during my pregnancy. And we had to write into all my contracts that this was, I couldn't necessarily always hit a deadline. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, having that pressure off of me, knowing that the deadlines were loose actually helped me be more productive. But deadlines in themselves, like I had one that was due, I've known about it for two weeks. It was due at 9am this morning. I literally did it last night because I, in my own brain and mind, waited all the way until the very last minute to do it. And sometimes that's just how I am, right? That, that's just sometimes how anxiety works and, and things happen. But yeah, deadlines during a pandemic when you're already struggling and it, being a book would freak me mm. out because that's your words kind of embodied forever, right? Don't, don't, don't make it more scary. <laughs> it's already out. I see it behind you. It's no, out. no, no. Well, no, this is a lie. Look, are you ready? Hang on. So if I go to uh, per, oh, A Life on Our Planet by David Attenborough, what? Um, oh my so gosh, basically, it's just a wrap. <laughs> yeah, it is a wrap. Because I said to them, I said, look, you've got to get me a, you've got to get me a visual cover because, yeah, yeah, because yeah. The, the visual aspect of it makes such a big difference when you're, I don't know, I didn't want to announce it with holding pieces of paper. So yeah, it is, yeah, uh, there isn't technically a full printed version yet. That's how late I was with submitting it. Um, so, uh, so yeah, no, but um, I was even making small edits whilst recording the audiobook. So they probably don't really? like me. I love that you did your own audio though. I really <laughs> oh, do course. love that you did that. With this I accent. I think that's special. Privileged enough to have this yeah, this yeah. posh British accent. I can't avoid this. I just don't like the fact that I apparently didn't know how to say certain words. Like like what I thought was a spartame. I, I refuse to admit that it's not a spartame. What is that word? What is what are you saying? You probably know it's aspartame? As, yeah. So <laughs> No. So as far as I was concerned, my entire life I thought it was a spartame. Apparently not. So even in, I thought aspartame was the American slash Canadian way of saying it. Um, apparently, even the British way is um, is, is aspartame. Um, or as, no, aspartame is the British way. Not aspartame, but aspartame. But it still is not aspartame. I don't, I don't like it. Oh, you know what? I do love that you said that because I'm somebody who likes to say words the way that they're spelt. And so <laughs> for the longest time, I got really caught up on words like I don't know if you would hear these, but we, our cars are called them, but like a Tucson, but it's spelled Tucson. Mm. Or the fact, I brought this up many a times because it drives me nuts. In the States, there is a state called, or a city, something. There's Kansas. Kansas is a place. Yeah. Then there's a place that they added an A-R to the front of it. So it's A-R Kansas. And it's pronounced Arkansas. Why? So I called it Arkansas. <laughs> And everyone's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, oh, it's Arkansas. Yeah, so I respect that. I actually heard once um, that you should never make fun of somebody by the way that they say a word because it means that they learned it by reading it. Ah. Well, then you should never make fun of any foreigners that come to the UK and try and pronounce UK towns because... Oh, I would butcher it. They are... I'm really upset that I haven't got these. Like, I feel like I should have had this planned. I know this is your podcast, but I feel like I should have had this planned, (laughs) had a list of British town names 
to uh, hang on, look. And we could right. practice saying Yeah, them. exactly. Well, look, I'll text okay. you one now. Okay. Let's see if you can say this one. L- Leicester? Leicester. What? Yeah, exactly. They can't just add five <laughs> letters on there. Oh, see this one? I know I'm Canadian. Yeah. Worcestershire? No. See, that's just entirely terrible. That sounds like something Worcestershire? Out of Worcestershire? But that's the... That's our sauce, our Worcestershire sauce. Yeah, but that's not how you say the sauce. It's Worcestershire, it's Worcestershire, Worcestershire sauce. This is not Worcestershire. Oh. What is this? Worcestershire. Worcestershire. <laughs> <laughs> that's enough. That, that, those are great. I mean, the, the oh. Welsh names are even better, but... but that... <laughs> Sorry, Worcester? Wait, wait. Worcestershire. Wor- Worcestershire. Yeah. And like, sometimes it's just Worcester. <laughs> Like Worcester, Worcester, but anyway, it's not. Your yeah. podcast is called Willing to be Wrong. I'm not willing to be wrong <laughs> here. It's Worcestershire sauce. <laughs> it shall be that way forevermore. Worcestershire so, sauce. <laughs> Worcestershire sauce. I've been talking a lot lately on my social about sleep the importance of it, the conversations around it, how we need to normalize talking about sleep and really celebrating it. Today's sponsor, Goodnight Sleep Site, is a family sleep consulting practice and has developed affordable online sleep programs from babies to teens to help the entire family sleep better. Whether you're just entering the world of parenthood and need some baby sleep help, or your once perfect teen sleeper is now throwing you for a loop, Goodnight Sleep Site has helped children and families sleep better since 2007. You can book their one-on-one sleep consultations where you'll work directly with a Goodnight certified sleep consultant. Or for a, I just need a plan kind of parent, you can purchase their new online DIY sleep programs available for ages from newborns to teens. In these affordable self-led online sleep programs, you'll receive your good night sleep guide, which includes a clear-cut sleep plan that is easy to follow and implement, and audio files of founder and sleep expert Alana McGinn talking you through each lesson step-by-step. Listen as you go. Each lesson contains all the information, education, and PDFs that you will need to make the necessary changes to help your newborn, baby, toddler, or child sleep better. Right now, you can request to set up a complimentary 15-minute discovery call where you can connect with a good night sleep site consultant, and they can hear more about your child's sleep issues and can help explain the best baby-to-teen program for your specific sleep situation. Also connect with Alana and her team on Instagram at G-N Sleep Site. That's G-N-S-L-E-E-P-S-I-T-E. If you feel like you've tried everything, if you're too tired to figure out on your own, or you simply want professional guidance and support, head on over to goodnightsleepsite.com to book your complimentary 15-minute discovery call with a Goodnight Sleep Site consultant and start your journey towards sleep success. That's goodnight, N-I-G-H-T, sleepsite, S-I-T-E.com. Now let's head back into our show. Why this book? We've seen so many people, especially in the last few years, come out with books. And we've seen a lot of diet books come out. We've seen all these different things. And you have almost made it your practice to kind of call out what you have deemed nutribolics, which is like the bullshit in diet culture. Mm. This book... Food is not medicine. Where did that... And I know it's not about Justin Bieber entirely. He's only mentioned in the preface. It's fine. Well, surprise, it's actually a diet book. Um, no, I'm joking. It is not. Imagine. It's categorically... Yeah, can you imagine? If I like... If I was just secretly like still 
still really invested. And I was just like, ha, I'm going to, I'm going to like surprise. No, it's not happening. It upsets me to think about it or make a joke about it. This is a book a long time coming. And I know everyone says that, but I feel like it, it actually is. And so maybe everyone says that and everyone, every time it actually is as well. But the reason why I say that is because there's stuff in here that I wanted to write when I was still in the depths of diet culture as well. When I first started my page, mm. when I was a weight loss account, and I was posting food pictures and before and after photos, because even at that point, I was still getting really pissed off at Nutribollocks. I was still getting really pissed off at people promising certain nonsense, people demonizing carbs, people like deciding to, to, to demonize tomatoes, tomatoes for you guys, because of lectins in them. <laughs> Like nonsense like that, that, that I was just, even though I was still very much about promoting weight loss, I still was like, this, not, this nutrition stuff is just awful. Like I don't understand why it's so such bullshit. It wouldn't have been called food isn't medicine at that point because I didn't really understand why food wasn't medicine. Mm -hmm. During the change of challenging diet culture and turning into the account that I am now where I'm talking about weight stigma and weight inclusivity and, and challenging this, these preconceptions around weight and health, the Nutribolic stuff was still very valid. And so this book is almost like two books merged together, but in a very, in a very appropriate way. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is if you think about any sort of piece of nonsense when it comes to food, in essence, it's almost always about weight. Like if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, it's even when people, even when people claim that it's about health, even when people are like, even something as, as controversial, which I, it's just more fun to be controversial, even something as controversial as the vegan diet, which shouldn't have to be about anything controversial, it's, it's, it should be about the welfare of animals, mm -hmm. has morphed into something that pretends to be more healthy than, uh, than any other way of eating because people want to lose weight by doing it. And so it's this, like literally everything to do with food has this air of weight loss and you should only have this food is good or bad because it either causes you to gain weight or lose weight. Yes. It would feel wrong to me to write a book about food and not mention diet culture anyway, but it just seems so perfect. So half the book is about my journey with my body and, and my weight and challenging the preconceptions about weight and health and then moving into explaining why and how that has such an impact on the stuff we believe about food mm -hmm. and then busting a whole bunch of myths around food and diet and everything else so yeah it's 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 great and it is a book a long time coming it's just is so much better yeah. now than it would have been had I written it back then which is great yeah and and I do love I, I'm really excited for it. I'm, I'm excited to see it in the hands of those who need it, to be honest. And and I think that your work has really kind of been an awakening for a lot of people. And, and because you kind of own that doctor title, people are very, I don't know what it is, but I think this is where privilege definitely works in a very good way because you're a white male who is a doctor. And somehow when you're anti-diet, I'm more, it is, oftentimes more digestible mm. than anybody else. But I've seen you go on to TV shows where, you know, they talk about weight and, and weight loss and you really, you really own the talking, like speaking truth back into it, which is, I always find so admirable, but I, I have to ask because you and I have a similar background. We're both anti-diet and we both have lost significant amounts of weight mm. and still both live in privileged body size. How do you, I'm asking this for me personally, but I also kind of, I think I'm trying to process this. How do you, how do you find your grip on 
you know, the fact that we still exist at a smaller body size while being anti-diet. Do you sometimes struggle with that? Or do you get, you know, negativity because I think a lot of people say to me that I wouldn't be anti-diet if I still existed in a larger body. And I can't even speak to it because I don't have that opportunity. My body is just where it is due to the lifestyle I have now, which is difficult for me to go back and say good things about my lifestyle before because it was during a difficult relationship. It was during, you know, difficult mental health seasons. It was during um, a lack of access financially. And, you know, a lot of that did, you know, result in weight. And so I can't go back and speak into who I was then. And I wonder for you, similarly, being anti-diet, but we're still both in thin privileged bodies. Mm. How do you balance that for yourself? Uh, With difficulty. (laughs) There is, there is a lot there. Um, And I think that the first thing I'd want to say is just, I, I kind of, I struggle. I know this is not what you asked me, but I just in general, Mm -hmm. I struggle when people ask me how I lost weight and why I haven't put it back on all of it. To clarify, I have put some back on, but I haven't put all of it back on. Um, And people ask me why. And I, and I struggle with answering that question. And I think part of it is because I don't know. Mm -hmm. And then also the other part is because I think an awful amount of that is to do with my privilege. Mm -hmm. Because weight is so complicated and it's so complex and there are parts in my life that I recognize now that I never knew about that, that impacted the way I grew up in as a kid from having an alcoholic father and food insecurity and not thinking that I was going to get food and dinner in the evening. So I'd steal tubes of Pringles and have them and eat them all by myself. And then I'd eat dinner as well because my mom would come home and I'd tell her and she'd give me food, but she never knew I'd eaten the Pringles. And so for an 11, 12 year old kid, I was eating double dinner, right? So Mm-hmm. There are so many things like that where I'm like, I recognize it now. And it's like, well, well, uh, well, I don't eat double dinner anymore. No, that's not why. Um, because I still wasn't doing that when I was, you know, 24, 25 and leaving medical school and still what the world would call fat. So I'm like, I don't know. But I do know that I have a lot, an awful lot of privilege. And I know that weight is incredibly complex. And I know that my lifestyle has changed. But just because my lifestyle changed and it happened to lead or it happened to result in me not putting it all back on it doesn't mean that's magically the solution or the answer Mm -hmm. and I know that's not the question you asked but I feel like it's just important to say because so many people yeah have that kind of question in the back of their head whether they ask it or not when they hear about this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. because we still want to know a solution right like it's still that thing where whether we admit it or not we're still like oh well is there a reason if we could just find it out then you know so yeah but in terms of the difficulty of navigating it. Yeah, 100%. Because I was never, yeah. I was never the word, and I'm not a huge fan of the word anti diet only because I'm not anti diet. I'm anti promoting intentional weight loss at all costs. But, but I know what you mean. I know that what people associate when they say I hear anti diet. But I, so I was, I was never, I never had those insights when I lived in a larger body. I just didn't. Mm. And I don't know if I would have accepted them living in a larger body. I hope I would have done. Yeah. But I don't know because there's so much added complexity there in regards to me not feeling worthy of anything that I had or got or love that I experienced or anything because I was fat. And I was like, I, this is not, this just doesn't, no, this doesn't compute. And so I don't know whether I would have, my mind would have been able to actually and genuinely accept that stuff or it would have taken an awful long time. However, it doesn't matter 
and I don't mean it doesn't matter full stop. What I mean is it doesn't matter in terms of that question because I am here now and I have accepted mm-hmm. that stuff now. I recognize that my privilege has helped me accept it, but I can't change that. And I can't change the privilege that I have because privileges are unearned. And but what I can do is I can acknowledge them, recognize them and use them to my advantage. And I'm trying to do that. I don't know why. And yes, I do sometimes get not attacks, but I do sometimes get snidey comments or or the odd kind of niggle of like, well, you, you know, you just, you, the only reason you believe this now is because of this. And like, yeah, maybe, but I don't know. And, but the thing is, is that I want to use my privilege of being able to accept it now to help mm-hmm. people who are struggling to accept it. Because I understand kind of, I don't fully understand. Cause again, I never came across it back then, but I understand part of that, that feeling and part of that difficulty and that hurt and that feeling of not being worth anything and does that answer the question kind of it does no it it really does and I think it it does I think for me when I go and look back and we talked a little bit about this on your podcast but it it comes down to weight loss oftentimes being as a form of of acceptance societal acceptance whether you feel it as as self-acceptance and it can be obviously it's easier to want to try and do even really extreme things to get that validation. And you know what? Like I'm not, this is why I'm not actually against anybody who is intentionally going through a weight loss journey. Like I'm, I'm not against it because I just feel like we can't demonize the, like anybody who's making a choice for themselves, first of all. And secondly, I've been there. I've been there fully. And it's not for me to say, you're just going to get to the other side and you're going to be unhappy. Who am I to say that? That's my experience. My experience was having, you know, way more anxiety in my body after weight loss was having so much food fear. It was, you know, terrifying that now coming out of that, like having to, having to come into a place now where I don't fear food, but I still honor it. Like I, and I also live with a lot more privilege. I can, I can buy the food that probably isn't causing me to gain weight where in the past, you know, you talk about food insecurity a lot. Do you, um, maybe you could, maybe this is a great opportunity. I'm fumbling over my own words here, but I do think that there's just a lot in that. It's just a, it's a difficult thing because I don't ever want you or I to be discounted for what we're saying because of the size that we are now, because it is very difficult to go back into somebody who I'm not anymore and try and assume that they would feel okay to exist in their body as they were, because that wasn't the reality. That's not, that's still not the reality of the world. And I think to demonize anybody who is on a weight loss journey is aiming at the wrong target. It just feels that way for me. It feels like we're, we're putting the shame onto an individual when it's an entire system that's broken. Yeah. I'm so excited to talk about one of today's sponsors, Pipette, which is a clean baby and mom care brand with a mission to give every family the best start. We've been actually using this a lot on our daughter, Lemmy, lately. And any parent that wants the best for their children, that includes using only the safest products on their delicate skin. Our daughter has incredibly sensitive skin, so this is absolutely important to us. Pipette has quickly become a customer favorite 
for its ultra-gentle baby lotions, oils, and washes. And right now, you can score 30% off its entire collection of personal care items. Let me tell you how at the end. Pipette sets the standard of clean and best-performing products. While the FDA bans only 12 potential harmful ingredients in skincare products, Pipette bans more than 2,000, ensuring its products are safe, effective, and only use non-toxic ingredients available. Pipette's products are also EWG verified, vegan, hypoallergenic, sustainable, pediatrician, and dermatologist approved. All of Pipette's products are made with a key ingredient, squalane. When babies are born, their skin is coated with a creamy substance called the vernix, which provides a powerful natural protection for newborns in the first few hours after birth. The vernix is rich with ultra hydrating molecule squalane and has a nourishing waterproofing effect on the baby's skin. That squalane is your baby's built-in moisturizer and is key to keeping the skin safe. But after the protective vernix absorbs, your baby's skin needs a little extra love and care. That's where squalane comes in. So you can visit pipettebaby.com and get 30% off with code papaya. That's P-I-P-E-T-T-E baby.com and get 30% off with code papaya. We've been using it. We've been loving it. The packaging is gorgeous and cute and so lovely. And it actually works very, very well. And this is coming from a mom with a baby with highly, highly sensitive skin. We have had just incredible results from it. So pipettebaby.com and get 30% off. Code is papaya. Now let's get back to our conversation. We also should be challenged if we forget the impact our privileges are having on the way we have the conversations. Oh, 100% agree. And it's very easy to, it's very easy to forget. It's very easy to become self-focused. And it's not, it's not easy always to fully recognize how it's impacting the way that you speak Mm -hmm. about things because, because that level of self-introspection is almost never it almost never exists so so you can you can recognize a lot of it like I do recognize a lot of it but there are still times when it comes out to play and I don't realize that my that my privilege Mm -hmm. that I currently have impacts the way that I consider a conversation so so yeah yeah, that that is still I, I agree I don't think attacking anybody and especially attacking people who are who are speaking up against this kind of stuff after having lost weight I don't think that I mean Again, when it comes to any sort of activism, you need allies who are of all shapes and sizes, of all backgrounds, of all creeds, full Mm -hmm. stop. So, you know, discounting people because they happen to have lost weight in the past isn't isn't a good thing. If they are completely ignoring or forgetting the impact that their current privilege has on the conversations and they're they're alienating other people. So if we are alienating other people by the way we talk about it. Mm then that should be challenged and not always easy to hear, but we should be receptive to it because other people have a greater understanding at this moment in time, even though sometimes our brain, I would imagine, I'm saying our, like we're the same here, but I think in this situation, (laughs) when challenged on it, sometimes my brain goes, no, no, but I was fat. So therefore I understand. And I have to challenge, I have to stop myself sometimes and go, yes, but I'm not now. And I Mm -hmm. don't, that doesn't mean I fully get it. So And we often look at the past with a different lens, right? Like, you know, there's a whole rose colored goggles and whatnot. But I think for me, I do, I do forget a lot of it. And so it's not in my present mind or thought. So yes, I do get to just 
have those fleeting memories of what it was like to exist in a larger body, but I don't, I don't have the daily, you know, reminders. I follow, um, quite a few fat activists and that's kind of the thing is like, they don't need to be told they're reminded every single day with everything they do, what they look like and what their size is. So I think for us, that's kind of the point is that for us, we get to forget, we get to kind of leave that in the past. It's kind of like a bit of a door closed but also while being in a place of, I, I feel for me, I'm also a lot more vulnerable to it, which makes me, I'm very scared of it. Sometimes I think that gaining weight when you are trying to be somebody who is against weight stigma and understanding that like all body healthy at every size exists, but when you gain weight and it's uncomfortable, it kind of put, for me, it's put me right back into the work. I think being postpartum this time has put me right back deeply into why these conversations need to exist because it was easier for me when I was 20 pounds lighter. It was easier for me to have these conversations and be, you know, accepting of everybody at every size when I had gained a bit of weight. But now that it's a lot more, it's, it's harder. The conversations are getting difficult. And now I'm even like in the tiniest sense, understanding why diets are so alluring. Like I'm not going to lie the second. So after having a baby Mm. out of curiosity, I just decided to go and weigh myself because during the pregnancy I did, I did find out what my weight was. And so I was curious, like, what did I end up with? And I stepped on the scale and it wasn't 24 hours later that I downloaded, you know, a calorie counting app. Cause that's how, like, that's how vulnerable I still Mm. am to it. And I think that to ever, to ever believe that the work isn't something that is continual is kind of crap because it has to be a constant reminder. We are inundated with different advertisements that sound really great and sound like they solve a lot of problems. And unfortunately, that's not really the case. And I think that's where a book like yours is really coming in. But like the food, the food is a medicine part. I think what I really like about it is it's not it's actually covering so much more than just weight because we've heard so many things about, you know, food curing disease. And, you know, at the beginning of COVID, you had to really fight against, you know, foods that would cure the virus itself. Sure. Anything. (laughs) Is it like in, in your work though, and in being a doctor, is this common conversation amongst the medical field? Or is this something that you've kind of like gone out on your own with? The, what the conversation of, just the conversation around food food and medicine together yeah so it depends where you work so because so I'm currently on a year out doing a nutrition master's but when I was in the hospital I worked in orthopedics and so there really wasn't that many conversations around that because if you come in with a broken leg food isn't going to fix that food is rarely going to fix any problem but food is definitely not going to fix a broken leg so those conversations generally tended not to happen in my day-to-day although diet culture affects all of us and so I would get random conversations with colleagues who were like trying to tell me the best way to lose weight I'm like really like why do we have to talk about this oh just and then they'd go on to talking about keto and I'd be like just stop just stop but the problem is is that putting orthopedics to one side um there are specialisms where this conversation happens far more frequently be that gastroenterology Mm -hmm. to do with the gut be that just general practice, be that to do with skin, frustratingly, and others, especially around things like diabetes, PCOS, things like epilepsy. There are lots of conversations around that. And unfortunately, the worst conversations tend to happen from doctors because we we learn about medicine and we learn about 
science from a very biomedical perspective, because that's what medicine is. It is a it is biomedical science. And it's not the same as nutritional science, but we don't really understand that. I understand that now, mm-hmm. but when I was learning about this kind of stuff and, and when I started doing my whole like weight loss journey on Instagram and all that kind of stuff, I bought a whole load of food, food is medicine books. I've still got them on my shelf. Oh, wow. I haven't read them, which is actually really good. But things like the dental diet, things like, things like bullshit that is just like, uh, they're books all written by doctors. Because I was a doctor and I was like, doctors know what they're talking about. I just, there's this instinctive authority bias that is within the profession as well. And so, but the problem is, is that these doctors treat food like they treat pharmaceuticals. They treat food like they treat drugs. And if nutrients and if food acted like drugs do, it's perfectly valid to say food is medicine. It makes sense. It's perfectly fine, but they don't. And the only reason people think that they do is because doctors and other people who are biomedical scientists don't realize that there is a difference in the type of science. It is not something that just has complete translatable skills, which people don't understand. I had no idea, Mm. but it is not the same. And so if we start treating nutrients like drugs, we assume that they can do what drugs can do. We assume they can change your physiology, that we assume that they must act like medicine. Then if something is something has like an anti-inflammatory pathway, then it must be really good for you if you have an inflammatory condition. But that's not how food works. So yeah, the, the conversations that frustrate me the most are the ones where I see other doctors getting it so wrong, because it, it is that authority bias where not only do other doctors learn from them and it propagates the nonsense, but members of the public learn from them and buy their books, which is now ironic, but you know, like it's just, it's so frustrating. And yeah, I have, I have taken a bit of a dig at the medical profession within the book, very specifically, very deliberately of going, we don't understand this stuff and we need to stop. I said in one bit, we, we don't learn about nutrition in medical school. And part of me agrees that's mm-hmm. not a good thing, but there's a lot mm-hmm. of me that is very afraid that we are going to be taught about nutrition by doctors. And if medical students are taught by doctors about nutrition, we are going to get a whole cohort of new doctors believing that food is medicine. And that is really dangerous. Mm. So it's, yeah. (laughs) There's been a lot of talk on social media lately around being and feeling safe, whether you're walking home, running errands, venturing out on your own, you always want to feel safe. So today's sponsor is Birdie. With Birdie, you can keep doing what you love with an added peace of mind. Before you leave the house, you do the checklist for your phone, your keys, your wallet. It's time to add one more thing before you walk out the door. Birdie is the newest essential addition to your routine. Sometimes it's hard not to worry about the what ifs of life. You've seen it in the news lately. What if I don't make it on time? What if I mess up? What if I feel like I'm in danger? If you don't want to worry when it comes to your safety, you need Birdie. What is Birdie? Well, it's a personal safety alarm designed to be easy to carry and simple to use. When you activate your Birdie with a quick pull, the alarm will emit a loud 130 decibel siren and flashing strobe light to help deter an attack. Unlike pepper spray or other deterrents, Birdie is no danger to you. You can feel confident to use it without the worry. And Birdie goes wherever you do. The alarm comes in multiple colors and has a brass keychain so you can attach it to your keys or bag. Over 300,000 Birdie alarms have been sold and they have thousands of five-star reviews. Join the flock today for a safer tomorrow. 
Right now, She's Birdie is offering our listeners 15% off your first purchase when you go to she'sbirdie.com slash papaya. Go to She's Birdie, spelled S-H-E-S-B-I-R-D-I-E dot com slash papaya for 15% off your first purchase. That's she'sbirdie.com slash papaya. Now let's get back to the show. So riddle me this. If food isn't medicine, Mm. can food make us sick? Mm. Because I get sick from food. Yeah, yeah. So the reverse of that wouldn't necessarily be medicine, but it would kind of be sometimes an aid. I don't know. I don't know what I'm looking at there. But can food make us sick? Yeah. So this is the thing. This is where there is nuance in this conversation. Mm -hmm. But what it comes down to is the verifiable truth that and this, I'm going to, you might have to say this twice. The absence of a drug is not the cause of a disease. That's what separates drugs and medicine oh. from, and I know not all medicine is just drugs, but it is important to make that distinction because that's where the harm comes when people start using food as drugs. So drugs are not the same as nutrients mm. because the only time that taking a type of food or taking a type of nutrient is going to cure anything is when that's the problem in the first place. So if you have scurvy and you haven't had enough vitamin C because you're deficient in vitamin C, vitamin C is going to cure you. It is medicine in that situation. But it's only medicine because you were deficient in it in the first place. Yeah. When you get prescribed or take a blood pressure medication to lower your blood pressure, you don't take it because you forgot to take it as a child or you didn't have enough of it growing up. It's not because you didn't have enough of it that you need it now. It's because something has changed in your physiology. And drugs can change your physiology. They can work outside of normal physiology and they can insert themselves into that and change the way your body works. Food can't do that. So of course, food can make you feel better. Of course, food can, if you have a lack of nutrients in your diet, you can start feeling really shit and you, you, your mental health can suffer, your physical health can suffer. Mm-hmm. But so when people then start introducing a varied diet again, they feel like it is, it is curing them of that. But what people do is they, they look at a very specific type of food or they look at a very specific type of diet. and They don't understand that it's the overall dietary pattern that's making that difference. So people go on a detox cleanse, for example, and those detox cleanses usually just include a whole bunch of veg, right? They don't include any meat. They don't include any yeah. sugar. They don't include any of this, what is, what is technically often nutriently sparse foods, yeah, which is which is the which is the the less mm-hmm. problematic way of saying mm-hmm. unhealthy, and they include all of this, all of these nutrients. They include all this veg, and it makes them feel better. Is it because the detox diet worked, or is it because they needed more veg? Yeah, and so that doesn't prove that food is medicine. All that proves is that you needed more variety in your diet to begin with. Huh. And so it's this lack of understanding of your overall dietary pattern is what matters, not the individual foods you eat on that particular day. Like having that, I know you love cupcakes and not cakes, which we will get into as nonsense, but <laughs> having that cupcake, having that one cupcake or, or that five, those five cupcakes on that one day isn't going to change how your body functions. It's not going to suddenly cause anxiety. Not having those cupcakes isn't suddenly going to cure anxiety. Yeah, if you have 10 or 20 of them one day, you might feel really shit. You're going to be too full to eat anything else. 
And so your whole day is going to be pretty nutrient sparse. Where's, where's, where's the nutrients in that day? It's gone. Yeah, exactly. Does that mean the cupcakes were the problem? Does that mean they're the evil ones? Does that mean sugar is causing anxiety? Does that mean sugar is making you sick? No. It means that you don't understand your overall dietary pattern is what matters. Mm. That spans all cultures. That spans all, all creeds. It spans all time. That The overall dietary pattern is the most important one. A really, I'll be quick, a really, really fun, I say fun, also depressing story. It goes back to the first time that a low-carb diet was first ever kind of documented with a guy called William Banting. You may have heard of the Banting diet, and that was kind of coined after him. It's just a low-carb nonsense. But he went on this low-carb diet, what he saw to be a low-carb diet, lost a whole bunch of weight, and wrote a pamphlet telling the public about how this new weight loss diet was. It was like the first weight loss book as well. Oh, wow. It had to be low-carb, didn't it? <laughs> of course. But he, he, he wrote all this stuff. He wrote about how it cured all of these different things he was experiencing. But he wrote what he was eating beforehand. And it was like, there was no veg in there. He was just eating potatoes, beer, meat. It was like it. And you're like, okay, like, fine. And then he went to wine instead of beer because that's what he did in those days or loads and loads of veg and like he slept better he like he stopped getting infections in his legs he lost a whole bunch of weight blah 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 blah. and if you look over it you're like this guy had type 2 diabetes this isn't a story this isn't some proof that the low-carb diet cures like causes weight loss all this is is this is like as far as i'm concerned the first documented evidence of a lifestyle intervention playing a part in chronic disease. Mm. Because the way that his diet was made up of wasn't helping his blood sugar levels. It wasn't helping the way that his, he was dealing with his disease he didn't know he had. And then he changed it to something that made a big difference. Does that mean it's medicine? No. Mm. But that's the distinction that just because food isn't medicine doesn't mean food can have an impact on our life. It doesn't mean food can't have an impact on, on certain medical conditions that we have there is nuance there. And saying food is medicine, there is no nuance there. Yes. So there, there needs to be, we need to reverse that because at the moment we've got a whole bunch of people thinking that you can cure cancer by juicing, going to cancer ranches, dying, and people that say food is medicine but are like, yeah, but I don't really mean the cancer stuff. You, yeah, but you're saying food is medicine and it's encouraging that. And so we need to stop it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I agree with you. And, you know, the way that you describe even diets in that makes so much sense because that was one of the things that was my first takeaway from your page when I was working really hard to remove shame around food. And that was that instead of looking at food as healthy or unhealthy or bad or good is looking at it as nutrient dense and mm. less so. And that actually really helped me because it, it, it helped me to understand that it is kind of this overall framework, but it does cause me a little bit, not, not negatively towards you, but does help me sort of also grasp that diet culture, while really bad, I understand why some people opt for a very structured diet because they maybe need some more help around getting more nutrients into their lifestyle. What do we say to that? Well, a structured diet isn't bad. Like a structured diet is fine. Like you, you right. can, it's what that means to you. It's what the purpose is. Mm, like if you if you yeah. benefit from having a structured part to your day, yes. So that because that helps you get more veg in. Because if you don't have that structure, you forget. Mm-hmm. Then that's fine. But if you have such a structure where you you have created so many rules around food that you have then you know, moved all the cupcakes to only Saturday evening and you're never allowed to have them any other time of the, w- of the week. When you come across food that you're not allowed to have, but that exists and is available to you in that moment in time, 
either it can create this feeling of binging because you've been restricting it up only and only allowing it at one point. And yes, it is still restricting, even though you're allowing it because you are, it's not unconditional. You're only allowing it at a certain mm. time of the week. And if you've been good too, right? right, right like right. if you haven't been so good during the week, yeah. you won't allow it that weekend. That's the problem that can come from being so structured where it's, is it structured agree. to benefit you or is it so structured that your life is, uh, is, is ruled by these rules? And food is life. Like you, mm-hmm. you eat every single day, multiple times a day. You can't get away from that. So you can't separate your life and food. The two are the same. And so if, if you're trying to create, if you create rules and you put restrictions and you do all this to your food, it kind of filters through to your life as well. And you can't escape that crossover because there is an emotional connection between the two. Mm-hmm. It's, it's impossible to, to pretend that there isn't. So I just say it's not automatically bad to be structured. It's how you do that and what the purpose is. I think there's just a lot of gaps and I think we're slowly working on filling them because unfortunately there's not a lot of variance in words. Like there's actually in the, in the origins of language, there's five different types of love and we have used one word for it. Like we use one thing for it. So I often have to unlabel that when I talk about self-love, I'm like, I don't think that people understand that I don't look in the mirror and I'm like, gosh, golly you look so great. I love you so much. It's like, you know what? I actually like, it has nothing to do with how I feel. It has everything to do with how I show up and how, and like my intentions. Mm. Right. And the same happens with diets because diets and dieting is like, there's so much gaps in there because it's one word, but like it, we have to eat what we eat is mm. our diet. And it's not necessarily diet culture. It's not necessarily dieting. I find myself a lot of times having to I don't have a lot of food shame anymore, which is honestly such a miracle when I think about it. And I don't binge like I used to either, which is often a result of, you know, restriction when you, and I, and that happened to me a lot in my early twenties, whenever I tried to diet, it just became me. I would Mm. hide food. I would essentially hide food and eat it quietly away from everybody else and just be like, Oh, I'm, I don't know why I'm not losing weight. I'm following this strict diet, but really I was, I was binging on the side. It was causing a reverse effect for me. And then when I went into my weight loss, weight loss, it was all about, you know, food being so bad. Like there was moral values on it. And I was morally above that food. I was now in control. Mm -hmm. I was now the powerhouse. I was morally better than anybody who said yes. And a lot of that came from, I think for me, you know, the past of being the biggest one in the room, the past of being the one who didn't feel like she had the ability to say no. And it's taken me a long time to come to a place of food is a part of our life. It is an enjoyable part of our life. It is, you know, there's, there is diet to it, but it's not necessarily Mm. dieting. And I think it's a very individual journey and I won't ever demonize a single food group because for me, it all exists in my world. Some make me feel better than others. And I also have, you know, some pretty messed up stomach issues and in things that I have to clearly be careful around because of different things. But in your book, what is your hope for it? What is truly coming from this, sharing your story. I mean, it must feel like guts on the floor writing a book. How are you, how are you doing with it about to come out? Are you nervous? Are you excited? And and what are your hopes? Uh, a bit of both. Yeah. But overwhelmingly excited. 
because because I am I am super proud of it. Like it's yeah. Uh, there were stages in it where I was I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure whether or not it was going to be what I wanted it to be, what it was whether it was going to be what I hoped it was going to be. And I got to the end and after a few of the edits and even even just recording the audiobook and like making a very slight change to one of the wording to add a little bit more nuance because as I said it out loud I was like no this isn't right. Um, right. even just doing that and going you know what this is the book that I wanted to like this is it yeah. like this is it's great um so 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 yeah I love I'm, that you say that <laughs> I'm very excited to be because I think it is I think it's a conversation that is difficult to have online because in the medium of a book in the medium of something that is longer form it allows you to talk around things with a bit more nuance mm-hmm. I think it explains a lot of stuff that I wish I I had to be able to read I think it is different to to other books about dieting I think a lot of them are one or the other and I, I don't know too many there are a couple of people that I I love and I think they're amazing human beings which is helpful isn't it but there are a couple where they have linked diet culture and food myths and nutribolics together but I think it's so important to have something that covers both because mm-hmm. it's very hard to escape diet culture properly if you're still believing the other stuff about food that you think is true yeah because it's so intertwined I think that was something that helped me escape diet culture was that I didn't was that I was already challenging the food stuff first and so there was this link between the two that that made things slightly easier for me and I think it should be yeah I think it's great I think I'm I'm excited for people to read it and only agree with half of it that's what I'm actually really excited for. Oh. Because I'm excited for people to because I'm excited for people to read it, believe half of it, not agree with the other half and then but then go yeah but he's kind of making sense and then come back to it. I think it should be a really interesting way in to people to learn about diet culture because it doesn't instantly scream that at you when you read food as yeah. medicine. And so I think people will I think people will get tricked. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's a great thing. Um so so yeah, I think I think from that yeah, there's lots of things I'm excited about. I'm a little bit nervous obviously that I'm going to get that I'm going to get slightly blasted by people who are are more nutritionally educated than I am. Um it's like oh look at this doctor writing a book blah blah blah. He he you know, why does he do that? He, no, I get it. It's fine. That's why I'm doing a nutrition master's yeah. just to make sure that I am being sound Good for with you. this. But uh but yeah, overall super excited. I think it'll be great. You know what? And I think that that's I think that I love that you said that you want 50% of people to agree with or like they you want them to agree with half of it because honestly, if it wasn't for me following people that I kind of sort of agreed with or I just thought were interesting to follow, I wouldn't have the perspective I do today. And I think a lot of times what we do is we bubble ourselves with people. And this is what social media has done for us. If we, we've given the opportunity to only follow people that we agree with, it doesn't give us a lot of opportunity to change our minds or to mm-hmm. learn of another side or even respectfully understand somebody else's opinion. For me, my biggest growth has been following people that I didn't agree with or that I didn't understand. And a lot of that came from, you know, the self-love community or from, you know, some of the the challenges towards diet culture at the time following them while being on a diet mm-hmm. was very mm-hmm. interesting. But the challenging thoughts that came out of it also led themselves into me making my own decisions, coming to my own conclusions all these years later. So I honestly am excited. I'm so excited. I can't believe we've been talking for 45 minutes. <laughs> Frig, oh my gosh. This We've been talking all morning and I literally could keep going. I think that's what I'm really excited for is that even if it's 
not something that somebody agrees with. It's just a mustard seed. It's just something Mm. that might sit in their brain and cause consideration or pause. Even if it causes, like I said to you, I'm, I'm very influenced by what people will say and by what works for other people. And just that, that glimmers of hope of like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. We've figured it all out. And to follow up with secondary questions of, is this real or is this just the same thing reskinned over and over and over again? And that's where I kind of thank you. And I, I have hope that so many other people will have as well is just taking a pause to what is being said all the time, not taking everything at face value and maybe asking the second questions. I hope that the title itself, even people that don't pick it up to read it, I think that I hope the title itself challenges people because there's so much, there's so much assumption that food is medicine. It's just such a natural assumption to make. It's just like, oh yeah, of course, even just having that as the title of the book, even people that are just like, what's he chatting about? That's nonsense. It might be the first time they've ever heard someone say that. And coming from a doctor, I'm going to use the authority bias, you know, to my advantage. Like, I don't know other doctors who are saying that food isn't medicine. I I don't know anyone else. All of the bullshit doctors online, like Dr. Hyman and Dr. Oz and Dr. They're all just chatting shit about food curing everything to do with your body. Yeah. And it's nonsense. And so I'm hoping that even people that don't pick it up might pick it up about six months later when they're like, oh, what was that phrase again? It's unusual. (laughs) So, So, yeah. Well, I'm very excited for you. Will you share with us when it's coming out and how we can get our hands on it? Uh, it comes out on my birthday uh, in exactly a month Which I don't from know this recording. Know. Yeah, rude. Uh, <gasps> no is it way. not in your calendar? Uh, no, it comes out exactly... So April 15th. April 15th, tax day in the US and what it is in, cal- in Canada. Um, I think it is here too. Yeah, you should know this. Maybe. I don't know. I should know. <laughs> um, but yeah, a- April 15th. Um, if you're in the States or Canada, then, then bookdepository.com is your way forward to pre-order it. Otherwise, if you're in Europe then or Australia, then Amazon. Amazon. So yeah, it's, uh, I, I'm excited. And when the pandemic is like over, over, there will, all, there will 100% be some sort of book tour. I am going to force it to happen because it'll be really cool. I want to come and chat to people and I know. You know, talk about the stuff. I was supposed to come to London. We were supposed to do this. Po- this is why this podcast is taking so long. So we were going to do it in person. I was coming <laughs> with my friend. We were yeah. going for her 30th birthday. We were going last summer. We were going to London. It was like a thing. And then everything happened. It's going to take so, you for martini cocktails, It is I what think, it is. Was the, oh. was the plan. Yeah, it'll still happen. What's your alcohol? In a, in a, do we do a gin martini? Uh, you do both. Not at the same time, but you do, you know, yeah. you just as the night takes you, gin martini, vodka martini, then you move on to other things. Like, it's fine, you know, <laughs> and with cigars, like do this proper, like, do, you know, British posh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> British and posh. No, end with, end with a snake bite, which is what? Half Foster's, half Strongbow with a bit of black currant in the top. I have no idea what a snake bite is. You don't, I mean, yeah, you don't want, it's, it's okay. you know what Foster's is, don't you? Like cheap lager? no. It's like cheap beer. Okay. Cheap cheap okay. beer, cheap cider, half and half with a bit of black currant cordial on top. It will it will completely fuck you up. Just <gasps> Yeah. It doesn't even sound good. Welcome to Britain. <laughs> <laughs> you you Americans and Canadians, they, I know I'm lumping you in the same, but both of you think you can drink bullshit. Like you wait. Oh, you I just can't wait. drink. <laughs> I'm the worst. My birthday's New Year's Eve and the last time I went out on my birthday, I was in bed after throwing up outside the Uber at 11.30 p.m. Yeah, see... I was that sick. The the, the thing is, is that you got to bed. The, the, the British get drunk and wake up in a field. Like, you at least got home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. You're the best. 
Well, thank you so much. I'm really, I'm going to put everything in the show notes, but obviously people can find you on Instagram as well by your handle, Dr. Joshua Walrich. Boom. Find out all the Nutriballs. Honestly, anybody listening, I know you might have heard some of these ideas uh, for the first time, perhaps. And I think that that's a really cool thing. I, I think I love that for you. I think I love that for all of us. I think it's a really great opportunity to even give yourself a, a challenge to follow somebody who maybe has a different narrative or has a different insight. And, and if it wasn't for people like Dr. Josh, I don't think I would feel as I do today, confidently living my life and existing in my body and eating foods and not feeling morally good or bad anymore because of what I eat. And, and I think that that's just sort of a freedom that we all deserve. And I, and I hope for everyone. So I'm going to include all the stuff into the show notes. I haven't read the book yet. I can't wait to get my hands on it. So it's going to be a really exciting time. And yeah. So thank you so much, Dr. Josh. Not a problem. Thank you for having me. Until next time. Maybe we'll have to do a follow-up once all the stuff comes out too. I would imagine so. I would imagine so. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in and we will see you next week. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at The Papaya Podcast. And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would, please share it. Simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag us. Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then.